Resuming. We heard. World. Order. Broadcast. Dynatherms connected. Initiating broadcast signal in... Ladies, gentlemen, and knights of the Nerd World Order, this is the Nerd World Order broadcast. I am the man that you call Dukes, and to my right, it's all about the... Booyah! What's up? It's your boy, Joe, baby. And to my other, other right, weighing in at 178 pounds, Alfonso X-Man Flores. To me, my X-Men! And to my other, other right, Dan the Mandalorian... Don't stop me, because I will not call you Poppy, Danny Salazar. It's your boy. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Joe already did that. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Danny Salazar in the house. Thanks so much for coming on, Danny. Uh, Danny wrote a really cool article a few years ago about episode one. Uh, he had some great points, so we wanted to discuss it today. So, ladies, gentlemen, and knights of the Nerd World Order, let's welcome Dan, the man, Salazar, to the show. So, Dan, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Going to ask you a few questions, let the audience get to know you a little bit more. Uh, let's start off with the basics. What do you think nerd culture is to you? Honestly, uh, I really like uh, Joe's tag at the end of uh, the episode. It says, Nerds Redefined, because, uh, you know, growing up, uh, old enough like Alf and I, you know, nerd culture was something that was uh, kind of taboo to talk about. You know, the things that you like, cartoons, comics, uh, sci-fi, professional wrestling, you know, and then obviously as we went along, you know, things started to shift. You know, you had the Tim Burton Batman, the 91 X-Men cartoon and all the stuff that where things became more mainstream and it was cool to talk about those things and you know, get really deep into the stuff that you liked. And because of that, a lot more stuff became accessible. So, uh, you know, as it's grown, you know, that's, uh, that's nerd culture. And then, you know, and it's, it's pretty cool that, uh, you know, it's uh, accepted the way it is now. And we're able to let that nerd flag fly. I agree 110% with that, man. That's, that's my whole thing is I feel like growing up, like, I feel like we had to keep our comic books in a brown paper bag and we didn't want girls to see them because then we couldn't get dates. And now it's like nerds are cool. So I agree yeah. with that 110 percent. So what do you think exactly makes you a nerd? Well, I mean, uh, what it comes down to is uh, nerdiness, you know, getting really deep into the things you like, whether, you know, it's uh, like we talked about comics. Uh, cartoons, sci-fi, uh, even things like uh, music and sports. You know, like the, the deeper you want to get into it, the more specific you want to get into those things, you know, you're getting pretty nerdy in there. And so, uh, like all the sports fans out there, guess what? If you're in a fantasy league, you're a nerd. You know, it's so true. It's like they call fantasy football like D&D &D for sports guys. And, and that's, that's really what it is, man, because – you know, it started out as like a, a math thing and then you apply your sports to it and suddenly everyone's into it. But, um, you know, it's funny. I feel like sports guys feel like if you call them nerds, you know, then they get offended. 
But I feel like, nerd. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can be a sports nerd, you can be a gym nerd, you can be a car nerd. It's about what you're passionate about, you know? It's something that you want to live 24-7. So, yeah, you got me there, bro. I totally agree with that. What's your number one fandom? Uh, I got to go all the way back to Star Wars. Uh, heck, I remember seeing uh, Empire Strikes Back in the theater. Uh, my fourth birthday, which I still remember to this day, was probably the best one I ever had. Uh Went into my parents' bedroom to ask for a glass of water, and they motioned over to their their bedroom dresser, and they had about a dozen action figures set up for me. And that, that took it off for me. After that, I, I've been obsessed. Dude, that is pretty badass. And I like how that story ended up because I wasn't sure where it was going. You know, you're like, because <laughs> my parents were always like, stay away from the dresser. I don't know what was in the dresser, <laughs> but they were always like, stay away from the dresser. So <laughs> glad that worked out better for you than it did for me. Probably toys as well, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, not toys I wanted. Uh, let's see here. Who's your favorite nerd? Or sorry, your favorite hero. I'm your favorite nerd. Who's your favorite hero? Of course. <laughs> uh, my favorite hero. Um. I think I actually got to go with Spider-Man. Uh, you know, as a kid, uh, we had the 60s Spider-Man cartoon. Uh, occasionally, we'd have the Saturday afternoon movie with the Japanese Spider-Man, which uh, was corny and cheesy as heck. But, you know, at the time, it was pretty awesome to see Spider-Man actually in a movie. And then uh, you look at the rogues gallery that he's got. You know, it's, uh, yeah, he it still stands up. I know Joe always says, like, what we used to watch as kids, like, nerds can't complain about what we're watching now because, like, to your point, we were just happy to have that old Spider-Man who was in that leotard, and when he would shoot his webs, they would just throw, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they would just throw a net on someone, but I was hyped, you know, every time it came on, so I'm 100%, Spider-Man's not my dude. Like, I could never get into Spider-Man, but here's the thing, right? That's the guy that we had when we were kids. You know, we had mm -hmm. that old 60s cartoon. Uh, we had Spider-Man and his amazing friends who gave us the X-Men, mm -hmm. Alfonso. I think that was my first introduction in the X-Men with Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And then, um, you know, obviously we had that, the live-action TV show, which... I think that was like the first live action superhero I ever saw. So he's not my favorite, but I got to agree, man. Like he's the one that basically gave us everything we had when we were kids. Mm -hmm. uh, who's your favorite villain? My favorite villain? Uh, I got to go with Darth Vader. I mean, you hear that Imperial March and that heavy breathing and, uh, you know, they, from the start they nailed that. I think uh, he's got, what, maybe 15 minutes of screen time in A New Hope and just even still, he's the character that stands out. That's interesting because, you know, I feel like everyone loves Darth Vader and they loved him for, since that first movie. But you're right. It's only 15 minutes. Like, what do you think it is about? Was it the visual of the character? Was it his voice? Was it him using force chokes? What do you think, like, immediately caught everyone's attention? Well, I mean, they combined, you know, the whole, you had the whole packet package. You had the appearance with the helmet, you know, you had uh, the Imperial March, the breathing, you know, the, the force, you know, the, the James Earl Jones voice. It was just, they did a great job of creating just this ominous feeling when he came on the screen. And I think, uh, you know, the, the scene of all the Star Wars movies, I think that really captures that the best 
is the hallway scene at the end of Rogue One. You know, and the, there's the fear. And, and you know, the, the rebel uh, soldier, he's screaming at the door, you know, help us. You know, that that's like, yes, that's Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree with that. That Rogue One scene, like, that just made it. You know, the whole movie was good. But when that came on, I was like, oh, this is sick. And then I wanted more of that, you know, but it ended perfectly. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's your favorite comic book or just book in general? Uh, well, I mean, around, I didn't really get that much into comic books uh, growing up or as a kid. But uh, around the height of the MCU, I got some, like, trade paperbacks and stuff. Uh some runs like Avengers Disassembled, House of M, stuff like that. But uh, I got to say my favorite books are probably the the Dark Tower series with Stephen King. You know, he did a really amazing job of writing fantasy. You know, obviously he's known for horror, but uh, those really sucked me in. You know, there's yeah. seven books there and I, I can't really pick a favorite of them, but uh, that was just a, a great read. Oh, that's awesome, man. You know, I'll be honest, I think wasn't it like a dark tower movie or something yeah and it was awful <laughs> oh okay wait there was only one though right right they tried to and, they tried to cram a, 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 as much as they could into the one thing and they altered so much about it that it just it was nowhere close to the source material and uh yeah it, it just it was a mess i think i got about a half hour into it and i turned it off i thankfully i didn't waste the money and seen it in the theater but yeah, it was awful. I think I think I wasted money seeing it in the theater. I'm not sure. But was Idris Alba in it? Yes, he was the gunslinger. Okay. Nice. So I got one final question for you. What's your favorite movie or TV show, and why is it Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> That's an easy one. Yeah, pretty predictable there. And, uh, yeah, it has everything. You know, you – you got the great story. You got the further character development. Um, and I, I know people say he's overrated, but uh, you had the introduction of Boba Fett. And I'm telling you, when when I was a kid and you had to order Boba Fett, you, you couldn't find him at the stores right away. You had to save up your proof of purchases and send in to get Boba the Boba Fett action figure. So... Yeah, Empire was amazing. He had the, the the twist ending. You had the bleak ending at the end with, you know, them taking off with Han Solo and Carbonite. And it was like, the bad guys win? You know, it, it was just a total just gut punch and roll ride, you know. And that's just one of those ones that just holds up even to this day. Yeah, I, I feel like, and I know that Joe and Alfonso, at least Joe, is going to shoot me down for this, but I really feel like the second Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, tried to do a similar thing where because they had made two and three together, I feel like at the end of Matrix Reloaded, you know, mm -hmm. Agent Smith had won, Neo was, you know, on the on like the regular real world, and it was like it left you where you just wanted to see the next one right away because it seemed like the bad guys had won. I feel like the Warshawskis probably took that from George Lucas because that was so perfect how they did that in Empire. Bringing in the Matrix into like some Star Wars crap, dude. Because, dude, if they took any page from <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, it would have been a better sequel, bro. I would, I would, you know, I'd have been cool if he would have just said they took their inspiration from Dragon Ball Z. Because that's what they were doing. Let's just fight in the sky. 
That's what they did. They didn't take anything from Empire Strikes Back. Because Empire Strikes Back, if you think about it, the reason why Danny liked it so much and a lot of people like it, because that movie set the standards of what a sequel should be. The Matrix did not. A, Ho- a New Hope is not a great movie. It, it was ahead of its time. The special effects still hold up. But, you know, it's pretty thin. But then you got Empire, and it just, you know, took it to a whole new level. Yeah, I, I think, but, you know, like, you got to gotta take in the, in, 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 in the case of when they made that movie, no one was thinking it was going to do anything anyway. So when George Lucas did do it, it was just like they gave him money to make a movie, but he didn't really go into detail because nobody knew it was going to be successful. And because it got successful, that's why Empire Strikes Back is a lot better than the original. I agree. I agree. We call that the the Matrix. Uh... Now, how come every every time somebody's talking about the Holy Trilogy, you got to throw the Matrix into the into the mix? Because the X Men trilogy, if you want to call it that, is possibly the worst trilogy ever made. So you can't even say anything. Mm-hmm. I'm talking Star Wars, the Holy Trilogy. I'm not talking about. Oh man, that was pretty good stuff, though. I said the original, the original uh, stunt coordinator for the original X Men movie. Do you know who that was? Chow Yun Ping. Nope, it's a uh, short round. Oh my gosh, I have the name on tip of my tongue. Short round, you know, from Indiana Jones. Wow, Alfonso, you're just gonna do that. You're like, you know who it was because I don't. No, Wait, I don't want to say his stunt, name wrong. <laughs> the stunt coordinator was short round. Yeah. Um, no, it was Yin Wu Ping. What? It was Yin Wu Ping, bro. Yes, it was. He helped. He helped. No, he didn't, bro. <laughs> he did. If, if, there's no, an he actual didn't. scene where he's no, showing he New Jack no, how to check, no, man. No, he didn't. No, he all didn't. All right. Because if you watch the Oscars, he was sitting there crying because he was sitting there crying because he did Indiana Jones and did the Goonies, and then nobody ever heard of him again, and then he comes out with As everywhere an and uh, everything and everywhere all at once. Yeah, but dude, no, bro. That's a bad joke. He was beaten. No, he was behind the scenes. I'll, I'll send you no. some articles. I'll prove it to you. I got no, pictures. No, no. The stunt coordinator is Jin Wu Ping, bro. Who's Jin Wu Ping? Wait, wait, wait. You're talking X Men, Alfonso, and Joe's talking Matrix, right? I thought you said it was the same one from the East because he said the X Men stunt coordinator is the same thing as, as the Matrix. I thought you said. Nope. Hmm. I say DNA. So basically, uh, what Alfonso is saying is that the stunts in X Men sucked, and yep. it was Blame better. <laughs> it was better Whoa. for short round to be in front of the camera instead yeah. of behind the camera for some yeah. horrible stunts. Right. <laughs> okay, guys, are you ready to uh, get into this uh, Danny's article? Yep. So, D- Danny, let me start off by asking you. Uh, what was your motivation for sitting down and putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and talking about uh, elements of the episode one that could have been changed to make it better? Well, I mean, as I mentioned in the article, uh, it was the re-release of uh, The Phantom Menace in uh, 2012. So I wrote this actually 11 years ago uh, when they uh, re-released it in 3D. I took my son to see it. And, you know, I, I'd actually obviously seen it, you know, probably a a dozen or more times since it was really 99 and uh you know when it first came out it was awesome you know went and saw it like four or five more times at the theater but the more you watch it the more you kind of pick it apart and then obviously the rest of the prequel trilogy was kind of disjointed and uh you know left you you know with questions or 
you know, a lot of ideas that like, you know, this, and these are things that, I, that we could have changed. And so watching it again in 2012, next to my son, who was just wide eyed. And, you know, I think he was uh, about six years old at the time and uh, he was loving just seeing it in the theater. You know, I kind of was watching it with a new perspective, like, okay, you know what, you know, if, you know, certain things were changed, it could have changed the whole trajectory of the whole prequel trilogy. So, uh, you know, obviously since then, uh, Favreau and Filoni have done uh, things with, uh, you know, Clone Wars, Rebels, uh, you know, the series uh, and Rogue One, what, you know, all these, all the subsequent uh, content that they put up since then, they've actually um, incorporated some of these ideas, but, uh, you know, they've done it in a really good way to like do some fan service and, uh, but also stay within the canon that was, uh, was given to them. No, I think that's a really good point. Uh, and, you know, Alfonso, I'll definitely let you jump in here in just a sec because I feel like Joe was always telling me about Clone Wars and Ahsoka. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. But then when I saw how Dave Filoni affected or influenced, like, the things that were going on right now, I was like, wow, this is really good. I got to go back and, you know, watch everything Joe's been telling me about because I feel like – Star Wars took elements from all the stuff that people didn't like and made it cool and fun so that we'd actually liked it. And they filled in those gaps with Clone Wars. With Clone Wars um, and Rebels, I feel like they really filled in all those gaps. So it actually, they took, I'll say, marginal material and made it really good. What do you think about that, Alfonso? Oh, most definitely, man. Uh, the just the fact that Dave Filoni is, is on the project, there's been a huge resurgence of people just wanting to go back and watch Clone Wars, wanting to watch uh, Star Wars Rebels, and I was one of those. You know, I've watched a little bit of Clone Wars, I watched a little bit of Rebels back in the day, and I never really finished it, even though it piqued my interest. You know, uh, I didn't even realize that there were two different Clone Wars cartoons. There was the original, I think, like two movie cartoons, but then they had the whole series. So I was like, oh, hey, this is different. Okay, so then I had to catch all up. I couldn't quite commit myself to watch that many episodes, but luckily Disney Plus has this thing where you can watch the key episodes uh, for Ahsoka, the key episodes for, and between that and Rose, for, for Ahsoka and for um, 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 the, the Blue Mandalorian, um, Katie Sackhoff. Man, my memory is shot today. Bo-Katan? <laughs> so, Bo-Katan, Bo-Katan, thank you. Yes, Bo-Katan. Yeah, so um, it, it's it's interesting, and and the fact that he was able able to create all this lore back in the day, and now now it's coming to fruition. You know, um, I I saw this thing the other day where Katie Sackhoff was like, yeah, it, it was weird. You know, Filoni is like, hey, maybe one day we'll do this as live action, and, and there they are, they did this live action. It's oh my gosh, they they're doing so much with it. Um, Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau, those those two guys are just knocking it out of the park, with the exception of. The book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Did Katie Sackhoff do the voice in the uh, Clone Wars? Mm-hmm. What? I had no idea. Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, it's all the same to me. It's a cartoon. But <laughs> I had no idea because she's a really good actress and she does great in that role. I had no idea that, you know, she had taken on that role so long ago. That's pretty cool. Well, Joe, I, I know you're the, the one who educated me when the Mandalorian came out and you were like, Oh, well, you don't know what's going on. Cause you refuse to watch cartoons. And I was like, okay, well then explain it to me. And you kind of filled in all the gaps for me. Um, 
how do you feel about Filoni and Favreau pulling everything from like those first episodes in order to make it a, a good continuation? I'm just amazed that you knew Bo Katan. I was like, so was I. Good for you, my friend. Uh, I, I love those two together. Um, they're like, for me, like Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, they just complement each other very well, and all they do is win championships. So I, I don't know if any of you have watched The Bad Batch. I finished the first season of Bad Batch. And, Not yet. You know, like when you watch The Clone Wars, whatever happened to the clones? Like you don't know. Nobody knows. It's just implied that, you know, they're not there. What's good about Filoni and, and John, or more so Filoni, is at the end of Bad Batch, it shows you the transition of what happened to the clones. So uh, Filoni is going back and kind of like reworking some things and fixing plot holes here and there. And he's doing it very well in helping explain questions that, to Danny's point is you can watch Phantom Mendes, Clone War, and sit there and pick it apart, which, you know, us three do on a regular whenever uh, Phase 4 movies, you know, you, we, just, we just sit there and pick it apart. And so when you watch Star Wars over and over again, it's so many holes and you start picking it up. And Dave Filoni is doing a really good job cleaning it up. Like I was talking to Danny before we went on air, and if you watch Mandalorian, all of us are caught up. The whales that are through the light speed, like if you don't watch the Rebels, you kind of don't know what they are. You just, Grogu was just looking, you're like, hey, are those whales? And those are force whales. And so unless you watch the the Rebels, Mandalorian was really keen everything with the Rebels, from Ahsoka to Bo-Katan to, we're going to talk later, Darth Maul was in Rebels. And so he's really connecting everything into the force whales in there. And he's his whole universe that he created with the Rebels, he's tying it into the Mandalorian, which I think is awesome. Uh, thank you, Joe, for bringing you back to something I had no idea what it was the force whales i didn't know (laughs) thanks for reminding me of everything i don't know in star wars (laughs) so one of the things you talked about danny and and, you know i want you to cover it a little bit is you talked about how anakin's age could have been progressed in order to create a better character can you go into that a little bit yeah i mean uh for as appealing as it might have been to George Lucas to have him as 10 years old and a little kid running around yelling wizard and, you know, everybody calling him Annie, you know, it it just didn't add anything to the story. And it made it really awkward in his first interactions with uh, Padme, you know, that she's 14, he's 10. And it's like, okay, you know, are you an angel? You know, but uh, you progress that, uh, that age to 14. Okay. Now they're the same age. You know, it gives uh, him an opportunity to establish his reputation more as a, as a pod racer with these. Uh, it, it establishes connection with his mom a little bit more. So, you know, it should have been more of a struggle internally for him to leave her behind and go on an Obon. You know, and so, you know, that kind of adds to that element to it because, you know, that inner conflict, you know, should have been more of what drove him to the dark side. And so, uh, you know, you, you have a little more history there, you know, have him at 14 years old when they find him at and tattooing as opposed to 10. And uh, it, it just uh, it connects the story better. And so then six years later, instead of 10 years, you know, they you know reconnect on Coruscant. And, uh, you know, and now they're both 20 and it's, you know, a little more of that, you know, kind of Ooh, how you doing, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it just uh it, it connects the story better. 
and uh, it, it makes for for more uh, uh, cohesiveness, I guess you could say, rather than yeah. uh, just having him as a little kid and you know the cute thing. Yeah, uh, I never felt comfortable with that whole interaction, that dynamic, because I felt like he was a little kid and she was a teenager. And 10 and 14, as far as interest and maturity, there's just a huge gap, you know. So, you know, he's mm -hmm. still he's still playing with toys and she's moving on to more mature things. And even though they did progress it to like years later, now we meet and, you know, it's like this. I, You're right, man. I just I agree 100 percent because I just feel like had you made them the same age, they would have had chemistry from the beginning. But even if that chemistry really didn't come to fruition, like at 14, once they hit 18, 20, it's like, okay, you already saw that spark. You already saw that kindling. So when they do come together, it's like, mm -hmm. okay, it's, it's almost like a, a love denied sort of thing. And it, it puts everyone in their corner from the very beginning. So, yeah, I, I think you're dead on, man. I love that. Alfonso X man Flores, positive and romantic man. What's your thought on that? <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, 10, definitely too young. You know, it was, come on, you know, uh, what, first of all, what 10 year old kid is going to leave their mom? Nobody's, they're not going to choose that. You know, it's not going to happen. Uh, you make them, I, I don't mind a little bit younger because I've always liked the older ladies, you know, but uh, you make them like, you know, 12. 12 to 14 now that's a little bit of interest where the 14 year old's like oh he's so cute but i don't know and he's like what's up what's up and you know try to you know stroke his mustache that he don't have yet you know he's more likely to leave his mom because of a you know younger uh preteen rebellion right it'll be easier for him to leave his mom and of course have all that regret later teen inks is like your best it's your best uh thing you can do right there you know and he, you know, he always regrets, oh, I left my mom. I got to go back for her. I got to go back for her. And eventually comes back, she's dead. Well, that sucks. Now I got to kill everybody, right? It's just the way it is. But, yeah, the I think, you know, a little bit younger would have been fine, but they just, they went into the creepy zone. You know what I mean? So I think two years would have been enough. Yeah, I agree. So apparently Alfonso was like 12 years old out there hitting up the ladies of the 16-plus age group. Now we know. <laughs> Joe, what's your thought on on young Anakin? Uh, I, what do you always say, Alan? I think it's just lazy writing. I think George Lucas is just like, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do. I have a plan. Follow me. We're going to make him 10, make her 14, and then in the sequel, she's going to be like, oh, you're just a little boy. And then Annie is going to get pissed because he's like, are not 10 no more and then he's gonna get mad and he's gonna be so angry trying to fight for his love that he's not gonna concentrate on being jedi and then there's feelings and then feelings is to the dark side it's lazy writing bro like i can see what he was trying to do that's what that is man you got to create some type of turmoil to help him sway him to go to the dark side you know and then when his mom's dead it's they just rush it i feel like if do you remember when they did clones uh, clone wars and then they did like a cartoon series that led up all the way up to the uh, uh, Rebels. Uh, no, um, the third movie I can't remember. Revenge of the episode Sith. three. Yes. Yeah, episode yeah. three. Mm -hmm. So the Clones Wars led up all the way up to that. I, I felt 
they sh if they're gonna do something about Annie, what they could have did was did a cartoon leading up to him being old enough. If he did a, ca a cartoon, invested in the cartoon, and did all that stuff that nobody cared about in a cartoon to lead up to him being already older, you can do so much more. I think that's why I like a lot of Star Wars, like the Bad Batch and Rebels, they do it with animation because you can cover more grounds in less time in an episode, and, and it's more impactful than a whole movie. I felt with with Phantom Menace, you wasted so much time. You, you, I, when you see Anakin, like you just don't see him as Darth Vader. It, you know, you know, for me, it's just like a little boy. Like you're just gonna, like to your point, Alan, you're just gonna leave your mom. Like everything's cool. Like you fix droids, you win races. You, you know, so it's it's rushed, and then all of a sudden in Clones, where he's like a big kid, he's he's he disobeys Obi Wan all the time, and Obi Wan's like. If you think about Obi Wan's like one of the dopest Jedi's, and it seems like they did him almost kind of dirty as opposed of like, oh Annie, come and save me again. But he's dope in his own right. And you know, so it's like to me, I just someone that's supposed to be dope, I thought like, and that's just lazy right and again. Let's make Obi-Wan not be so dope with Anakin when they're together. But when Obi-Wan's by himself fighting somebody else, he's really dope. And then you have a climax fight scene with him and you know um, Darth Vader at the end, which I thought they did a better job. Again, Dave Filoni again. I think they did a better job in the Obi Wan series for that fight scene because that's that's how it should have went down. Like the way they created Obi Wan, you know, going through anxiety and depression for losing his friend and letting you know like the whole universe down for him to fight his basically his best friend in the turmoil and then see him get strong again. That's that's dope. For me, I enjoyed that fight scene a lot more than Revenge of the uh, Revenge of the Sith. But I, I just think like they say, "Hey, Lucas, you have all this money, you know, like you're waiting for technology." From you know, he said, "I'm waiting for technology to catch up to the way I want to tell a story." Well, you didn't tell a good story, but the technology was there. You know, if we if they had had a like a a whole you know timeline and and game plan uh, with the the first three episodes where they could incorporate TV series in between to kind of connect some of the dots and like give some more backstory. You know, I'm sure that would have, you know, definitely made for a whole better layout, you know, obviously then Dave Filoni picking up the pieces and cleaning up the messes after the fact. And, uh, you know, and as you and I, Alan, uh, discussed before, you know, uh, going into it, you know, it seemed like George Lucas was trying to appeal to the younger, dem younger demographic anyways, you know, and already thinking, merchandising, video games, things like that. And so we're going to have the hero as not a teenager, but a little kid that other little kids could could relate to. I, I wonder if at the time when they made episode one, if adults and teenagers weren't buying toys, because now I feel like adults and teenagers, we're going to be the ones buying toys so the kids will have to get the leftovers that ends up on the clearance rack. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, I, I think back on that. I'm like, but but why? Because I feel like, yeah, he was trying to, you know, make make a movie for that kids would buy toys because that's how we made his money at first was he kept the licensing for for all the uh, the toys and everything. But it's I just think like, but man. If that movie was made now and adults were the one buying the toys and all the merchandise, it could have been better. Just so much better. 
So I'm going to jump into point two of what Danny talked about. And this was the most confusing thing for me in Star Wars period. Uh, let's get into those midi chlorides. Uh, Danny, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you disliked about that? The midichlorians. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it really kind of uh, discredited the the whole concept of the force you know that they established in the the original trilogy you know as obi-wan you know says it to luke skywalker it's an energy field created by all living things it surrounds us and penetrates us it binds the galaxy together and so it's just overarching you know just you know presence and and energy that that you know you, if you're force sensitive i guess you could say <laughs> that uh uh you could tap into but by introducing the chlorines, it's like, okay, so, you know, if you don't have these little parasites in your blood, then you're not even capable of, uh, you know, using the four. And yeah, it was just a, a totally, you know, unnecessary, you know, thing to add into the mix. And it had no payoff, like none. It's like they never went back to it because it was so dumb. Yeah. And and I was reading your article and I was thinking to myself, could they do like a midichlorian transplant or something like that where you could put more midichlorians into someone, then they would have more force, like they'd be more powerful in the force? I'm like, because it, it, it was just so absurd. You know, well, we're going to do a test. Okay, let's see here. Yeah, look, you're, you're force sensitive. What? And it never paid off. That's my thing. You introduce a concept, it needs to pay off sometime. And it just never did. Uh, Alfonso, what's your thoughts on the midi-chlorians, which I wrote down to say correctly? <laughs> my thought is this. It's nothing more than a way for men to measure something to say that theirs is bigger. You know what I mean? Dark Vader got the biggest one out there, right? <laughs> biggest count right that's what we're talking about here this is what it is from day one you know it's one of those measuring contests where you just got throw it on the table who's who's got the biggest that's all it is so alfonso you're saying the big black guy had the biggest <laughs> one go go ahead thank you with the deep voice <laughs> <laughs> oh no yeah. we went there yeah Way to hype up out in there, uh, buddy. Uh, yeah, on that note, um, yeah, I, again, I think it's just lazy writing, like to your point, Alan. They never go back to it, you know, like Michael Jordan's the goat because he just happened to be the best player ever, in my opinion. Why can't Anakin just be the strongest Jedi at the time? It's very simple, like, no one's gonna be like everybody to that point knows that Darth Vader is one of the strongest. Jedi's and went, you know, uh, to Sith. You don't have to come with some blarky about the, you know, Malachorians. <laughs> you know what? And then you come up with a name that nobody can pronounce because nobody cares. Yeah, midichlorians. Oh, man. And, and I'm hoping they bring it up at some point, you know? No, just no, no, no. Okay, okay. I agree. I agree. <laughs> even even Dave Filoni's like, no, we're not we're not talking about that anymore. Yeah, he's like, I'm not bringing that up anymore. <laughs> no, 
who's not. Yeah. So moving on to something that other people hated, but I personally did not. I like the character once a theory was thrown out that Jar Jar Ooh. was a Sith. Um, but I, I thought Danny brought up some really good points, which is you could have done a lot of things just to make him a character that wasn't so annoying, not necessarily likable, but not so annoying. So Danny, can you uh, run through the Jar Jar improvements you came up with? Well, I mean, obviously uh, he could have served a purpose. I mean, he did serve a purpose in episode one. But uh, one, obviously, get rid of the, the annoying voice. You know, we don't need the muy muy, blah, 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 you know. And, and you know, it, again, it, it was probably a merchandising, whatever kind of, you know, cater to the little kid humor. You know, the kids are going to love this. They're going to laugh. It's going to be hilarious. But, uh, yeah, any anybody else that was over the age of 15 probably just, you know, couldn't wait for him to get off the screen. But, uh, you know, instead of uh, having the klutz, you know, who ends up, you know, accidentally becoming a hero, you know, have him, you know, be shunned. You know, the, the Gungans are a warrior culture. You know, have him be shunned for cowardice. Yeah, he didn't want to fight. And so then, you know, he ends up crossing paths with uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, you know, and then they have the big battle with uh, the droids and everything. And he's able to redeem himself. And then we leave him on a we're done with them. There you go. As you're talking, I was thinking to myself that Jar Jar Binks is everything wrong with Marvel Phase 4. Because I feel <laughs> like every Marvel Phase 4 movie has a Jar Jar Binks character. Where it's like, he's funny for no reason, he's kind of goofy, and he's only in there to appeal to the kids. Um and he, they could have a good backstory, but they're just like, we're just going to throw him in here for comic relief, you know? And so it's interesting because, like I said, I thought Jar Jar could have been cool. Everything you're saying, that's what I would have liked. But it's like they dumb it down and water it down to the point where it's like everyone hated this character. And they could have just done so much more with him. However, Alfonso, being our positive ray of sunshine, probably <clears throat> liked Jar Jar more than anybody. Misa like the Judge Jar Binks. Okay, so here's the thing. Star Wars is about a few things. And you guys got to look at this for what it is. It's about the moment. Doesn't have to be the best movie. Doesn't have to be the best story. It's about the moment. It's about that. It's about the quotes, the famous quotes. You know, who shot first or, you know, whatever, whatever the quotes are. But it's also about the voices. You know, everybody's cool with do or do not. There is no try. Right? Everybody's cool with that. Right? That's what Georgia was. Oh, muy, muy, muy fun. Misa thinks we should go into the water. I mean, you all grown up. I did like him in the first one. You know, a little comic relief. Everybody's got to have the village idiot. So it's just the way it works. You know, you got to have somebody you can play off of. All right? You're right. Danny, in your article, I, I agree 100%. What the hell is he doing in the Senate? He doesn't need to be in the Senate. Right? You know, although they did make him a patsy, they put him there for a specific reason. So, you know, because nobody else is going to be dumb enough to do that, right? To do what he did. Uh, they needed somebody they could just, you know, hand up the, you know, the bottom and that's their puppet, right? So that's, you know, he had his purposes. Um, <laughs> the, the fact that he went from like an outcast nobody to the Senate, 
that's something a little different, but you know, he was, he was fun. You know, you like to see somebody like the drunken master, you know, fall around, you know, kick butt. That's what he was doing. He was, he was tripping over, you know, those big Gungan blue balls and sending them out and blowing everything up. You know, it's luck, dumb luck. It happens, you know, but I digress. What about you, Joe? Well, the Gungans, they all sound the same. The only difference is Jar Jar has a high-pitched voice. So, I mean, they both, all of them talk the same. The Alan had brought it up earlier. There was like a theory. I think if that theory was true, it sounds so much better than it makes the character dope. Like, there's a video out there. I don't know who did the video, but um, each thing that he did. So, like, he goes and finds the Jedis, right? All of a sudden, he finds the Jedis. And then every little thing where he steps on those blue balls <laughs> and they go and they and they kill all these droids very strategic like he'll fall and everything the the thing that sits do best is they're right in front of you and you don't know they're there and that's what made that theory about jar jar Binks being a jedi or or a sith because to alan uh, alfie's point there's no reason why he should be in the senate other than you know perceived as a war hero right but look at the look at like Palpatine. He was considered the same thing. Like I can change the Senate. You know what I mean? And so when he makes that decision, who better to do it than a Sith? You, you, you know. And so I think if they did it that way and they cleared up, it's funny how like we don't make the movies, we don't we don't write the stories, but people can come up with so much better storylines than the actual person that made that. Because if you switch it. And you make Jar Jar a Sith, how much cooler is that character? And how much does everybody like the character now? Because they're like, oh, and then you go back and rewatch it. Because that's one thing that Marvel did good prior to phase four is connect everything from phase one to phase three. You've seen the new movies. You're like, oh, I remember that scene. And so when you rewatch the movies, you're like, oh, you see that happens later on. And if they did that with Jar Jar Binks, I think it would be more successful and everybody would like that character a lot more. In my mind, I think he's a Sith. And so that helps me not be as bugged up as much as most people think about, you know, Jar Jar Binks. Because in my mind, he's a Sith. And that's why he did what he did. It's funny. When I go back and I watch episode one, I actually watch it waiting for the moments that validate that Jar Jar is a Sith. And it, it just makes it so much better. So, Joe, you're right. It it completely changes everything. Doesn't necessarily, I mean, it doesn't pan out, but neither did the uh, midi-chlorians. So, you know, you can't ask for everything. You know what? I do have uh, one counterpoint to that theory, though, is that as powerful as Sidious was as a Sith, wouldn't he have noticed or known or sensed that there was another Sith in the mix? And would he have allowed that, you know, from a competitive well, nature? Like, you know, so. Well, to answer your point, your, your question is, what was Count Dooku? He had Count Dooku and he also had Darth Maul. So who's to say he didn't also have Jar Jar Binks? True. Good and point. so that's, he had a lot of cis and, you know, and then if you look and, you know, what's good about comics and other books is, in the comics, I think uh, you were telling me, Alan, because you were reading it, Vader had his own death squad that he trained that, you know, like Palpatine didn't know. So we don't know if Palpatine had his own, right? And so he could have had Jar Jar Binks, hey, yo, this is what you're going to do. You know you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's that's the way I would perceive it. Love it. 
point and counterpoint. If there's one character I never liked from A New Hope, didn't like this character in um, anything, even in the new TV show, even in episode one, two, and three, I never liked Obi-Wan. I was happy when he got sliced in half. Um, but Danny has some interesting thoughts about, you know, what what could have made Obi-Wan a little bit better. So, Danny, what do you got? Well, I mean, uh, you know, as important as he is to the whole story arc, you know, him being Anakin's mentor and, uh, you know, eventually him having the battle with him on Mustafar, you know, he, he's he doesn't play a, a real big role in Phantom Menace. He's, he's more of a sidekick. Qui-Gon is uh, the main Jedi. And he's the one kind of pushing everything in motion. You know, again, it goes back to, uh, you know, the age change for Anakin. If Anakin's a little closer in age to Obi-Wan, maybe Obi-Wan, you know, is in the one in his ear, you know, trying to convince him to come. But when they uh, leave the ship to go into town, you know, they didn't need Jar Jar there. You know, all he did was, you know, you know, comic relief, you know, getting his tongue stuck in things, starting trouble with... Uh, uh, the the Doug, I can't remember his name now, the pod racer. But, uh, you know, just nonsense. So if Obi-Wan, you know, goes with uh, the, the traveling posse and, and uh, you know, he first comes across uh, Anakin with Qui-Gon, you know, maybe he even, you know, gets a little bit jealous, you know, that, you know, Qui-Gon is so, uh, you know, impressed with uh, Anakin, you know, that he... You know, senses that he's force sensitive and not just has these preternatural instincts. You know, as a pod racer or or anything like that. But uh, you know, he you know you know maybe feels that. But you know, Qui Gon is convinced that he has to go. And so Obi Wan, you know, might be the more influencing voice in Anakin's ear to say, "Hey, you know, this is what you need to do because you know you're special and uh, you know you could be like us." And uh, and then also you have the, the big brother, little brother dynamic where, you know, you might have a little more resentment building between them. You know, you're not that much older than me. So, you know, how are you, you know, to be the one to tell me what's right, what's wrong, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it just builds a, a little bit more uh, tension in that relationship. And, you know, it, it gives Obi-Wan the greater role in the whole uh story arc that he he should have you know actually i think you're dead on there like just spot on because it would have made the obi-wan series like that fight at the end or even just the whole you know the uh darth vader or anakin whatever you want to call him is is chasing obi-wan and then that would just make that dynamic and that conflict just be so much better uh, had they played it out that way, I agree 100%. Let me say this. I had a moment. I had an epiphany. Dominic Toretto could be a Jedi. He's a great racer. He does impossible things. Dominic Toretto is a Jedi. And Alfonso, I'm going to turn it over to you because I know you will not shoot me down. <laughs> we got to test his Metaclorians first. <laughs> 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 so so real quick the Doug that is uh Sebulba. Um so here I'm gonna paint a picture for you guys as far as Obi-Wan goes. This whole movie should, or this whole series should have been 
daddy issues, a space odyssey. Because, you know, you've got Anakin who's like, he doesn't know who his father is. And then you've got Obi-Wan who comes in. He's like, I'm going to be your daddy. He's like, you're not my real father. You know, it's the whole stepdad thing. He's not much older because his mom likes the, the hot younger dude. Happens. Just saying. And and he's like, you know, I'm going to show you the way it is. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to I'm gonna teach you. And he's like, you know, I'm better than you. I can be better than you. I don't need you. So that's all it was. Later on, he was, he was a surrogate father for Luke as well, right? And then, of course, Annie sees that. And he's like, what? No, you're my dad. And then I'm going to strike you down. And, you know, that's the way it went. It's all about daddy issues. Star Wars, that's all it is. Star Wars, colon, daddy issues. I believe it's Star Wars, colon, family, a la Dominic Toretto. <laughs> <laughs> I am Groot. See, you, you again. You don't watch the Clone Wars. So, what the Clone Wars did was create the relationships that you're talking about between Obi Wan and Anakin. It, you see it more in the Clone Wars. So, what you're looking for, if you would just watch the Clone Wars, it does pay off when you watch Obi Wan series in the end because you feel the pain because. The Filoni did so much better in the Clone Wars leading up to the actual movies that George Lucas did. And so when you watch the George Lucas movie, you, you kind of, you don't get that they're vibing. But if you watch Clone Wars, the animated series, they're vibing all the time. And so that's what's lost in Revenge of the Sith. I, I think they made a really mistake of, in, in the series, you don't really get to see how dope Obi-Wan is because if you're trying to, yeah, sorry, dude. Well, that yeah. was what really uh, made Empire better than A New Hope is the fact that he handed it off to Irving Kirshner and rather than direct it himself like he did, you know, the first one. And, mm -hmm. But he wanted to take the reins again for the whole pre sequel, pre uh, prequel trilogy. And, uh, you know, while he is great with ideas and mm -hmm. concepts yeah. and things like that, execution, story, mm -hmm. George just, he, it's not there. You know, and, and yeah. it takes other people to tell the story better and, yeah. and connect it better for him. Well, yeah, because you can't make a movie. <laughs> you can't make a movie trying to make Obi-Wan dope if your whole movie is about Anakin. So you can't overshadow Anakin becoming Darth Vader with Obi-Wan. Where in the Clone Wars, the, the cartoon series, you can see how dope Obi-Wan is. Obi-Wan beat Darth Vader twice. That's all I got to say. So, I mean, for a dude that had much of those, we will not say that dumb name because it doesn't make sense. For someone that had more of those little molecules of the big bad brother, it didn't work because, you know, because he did get defeated by Obi-Wan twice. That's all I'm saying. They're, they're, they're at a club, right? If Obi-Wan's at a club with Darth Vader, bro, and the girls are like, yeah, we like the big bad bonus guy. And Obi-Wan comes out of nowhere and says, hey, you know, like, hey, I can still work it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take the guy that can work it. A lot of times I talk about single serving characters. And Danny pointed out one of the most infamous single serving characters ever, in my opinion. You know, like there was Captain Phasma, looked cool was around for five minutes. Boba Fett looked cool, was around for five minutes. Darth Maul uh, with, with the double lightsaber looked cool, around for five minutes. So, Danny, why don't you uh, give us your perspective on Darth Maul? To start with, from the very first preview, when they showed Darth Maul with the horns, with the red face, he lit that double saber and just 
you know, I remember watching that preview in uh, at my friend's house, me, uh, the three of us sitting in front of his computer, streaming it on a real player. And, uh, you know, Darth Maul comes out and I was like, ooh, he hit that double saber and it was like, oh, no, you know, this guy's he, he's going to be amazing. You know, he looked intimidating. He had the look. He had the vibe. He had the saber. You know, and his battles, even in the movie, the the the, the battle on uh, Tatooine with uh, Qui Gon, and then later on uh, Coruscant with Qui Gon and Obi Wan. Those those are two of the best saber battles of the whole series. You know, you had that going for him, and then you kill him off. You know, obviously they brought him back in. Uh, Clone Wars, or was it Rebels? Joe, help me out there. Uh, it's the Rebels. Okay. Yeah, so they, they bring him back, you know, and they they do him justice. They make him the head of uh, the Crimson Dawn and all that good stuff. And then he has his uh, real battle with Obi-Wan. But, uh, you know, they, they, they threw him away. You know, they threw away uh, what could have been another great Sith Lord that could have rivaled Darth Vader. And, uh, you know, plain and simple, let him live. Let him live. You know, you let him escape as Obi-Wan's hanging from the, the little corridor thing after he kills Qui-Gon. And not only do you have him around to be that intimidating figure, to be even uh, take the place of General Grievous, to have him be the one that's hunting down Jedi, him be the one that's, you know, you know a menace to, you know, the council. You also have... Obi-Wan, you you give him a foil to become obsessed over because he killed his master, because he got away, because he bested him. And, you know, he's, you know, becomes obsessed with that confrontation. And it even, you know, gives him a reason to kind of push Anakin away. And, you know, you know, I, I you know, I want to teach you, but this is my priority here. I have to avenge my master. And so... You know, as it goes on, you know, you know, you have, uh, you know, that element to it, the, you know, the, 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 the obsession for Obi-Wan, you know, the, the building of, of Darth Maul all the way up to in the end where he could be the one that Anakin kills, you know, at the beginning of episode three to show just how powerful a force that he's become, that he's able to take up this guy that's, you know, been, you know, that menace to them you know, throughout uh, the whole trilogy. I feel like he was at first a wasted character. You know, as you guys are, guys are talking and you're saying like, well, you know, he came back in Rebels or whatever. I feel like with Star Wars, it's like there's a whole bag full of M&Ms and I'm only willing to eat like the red ones. But the cartoons are kind of like the green ones and they taste good too. And I feel like... Joe's like, dude, these green ones, you got to eat the green ones. Or you're not going to understand like how good this candy is. And I'm like, no, this is the best one right here. But as you guys are talking, I'm like, wow, I've kind of been missing out because you talked about like the Crimson Dawn. I'm reading a comic book, Star Wars comic book, where they're talking about the Crimson Dawn. And I'm thinking like, wow, this is a really fresh and unique concept. And Danny's like, no, nah, man, it came out like five years ago. I'm like, well, wow. So uh, it's just pretty cool because you guys are making me, you know, interested in like, hey, I loved uh, Darth Maul, but I never got to see his reintroduction in the 
in the Rebels or be introduced to Crimson Dawn in Rebels. So uh, definitely a lot of good stuff going on there, man. Uh, I agree 100% across the board. They could have kept them around. I feel like one of the things that Star Wars does is they introduce new characters instead of building a really strong story with established characters. Like if he had been just a constant like threat throughout the entire trilogy, that would have been so cool and just a wasted opportunity. Yeah, Darth Maul was he was just spectacular in his in his visuals, everything he did, his movements. It was just it was all new to this whole Star Wars universe. And then before we basically you'd have the guy with the sword or the lightsaber, and he just da 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 da. Darth Maul's doing flips, flipping around. He he like he reinvented the whole the whole genre. You know what I mean? He changed everything. I th- I think what happened was to me in my mind this this is how it went down. I I think you know they they had him. Did they really need Count Dooku? I, I would say no, they don't really need Count Dooku, but then you've got the actor who's playing Count Dooku, and that's a big get. So then they're like, okay, well, we're going to have to back off on Maul so that we can bring him up, up to, to the bat a little bit more because, you know, he is who he is, right? But, you know, being cut in half, that didn't stop him. Um, I, I know you didn't watch Star Wars Rebels, so spoiler for you, Dukes. He got himself a spider body, right? He had you know, the mechanical spider legs, and he's like up here, and he's like, what's up now? You know, it was, it was pretty cool, man. You missed out on the on the spider body. Oh, man, it's just like just like Wild Wild West. Oh wait, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a little disappointed, Alfonso, because this entire time you've been talking, and you haven't mentioned the connection between X Men and Ray Park. <laughs> well, you know, come on. So we got the Toad, all right? You know what happens to a Toad when lightning hits it? The same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> no, it's it's sad that such a cool character like Darth mm-hmm. Maul uh, could also be the same actor who was Toad. But that's, d- disrespect. That's what that is. Well, Snake Eyes too. Oh yeah, he that's, was that's, Snake I'm Eyes. Fine with that. Snake yeah, Eyes, Darth dude. Maul. That is the same, you know, ballpark. Toad. I uh. Met- you remember when I met Ray Park? Remember when I got a picture with him? Because we had yeah. to get an autograph uh, for the figure for I can't remember his name, Bill Brett. Bruce. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, dude, I was like, hey, it's funny how people know you're at Darth Maul, but I remember you as like, you know, Snake Eyes and Toad. He said, hey, man, you want to take a picture? I said, why? Yes, I would like to take a picture with a dope guy like you. Hey, so, hey you guys, get this. So I'm at Comic Con one year, right? And they're having this thing where you could try out to be on the DVD. Uh, Star Wars Trivial Pursuit, right? So they bring me up on stage, they have me read some lines, they give me a free t-shirt, and they interview me, right? And they're like, so who is your favorite Star Wars character? And I look over and Ray Park's at the table right next to me signing, signing pictures. So I took this opportunity, I'm like, Darth Maul, Ray Park right here. And they, you know, everybody pauses me, like, okay, that's one of these numbers. And they're like, oh, Ray Park, we didn't realize you're there, come on up. So he hops up, he's on stage next to me. I got my arm around him. He's a little shorter than I thought he would be. But yeah. you know, we he did an interview with me. It was it was super cool. We got some good pictures. I got some good video footage of that. Yeah. And then he went back to his business and you know, yeah, he's, gave me he's a good dude. Stuff. He's a yeah. good dude. Yeah, Alfonso is always ending up on stage at Comic Con. So mm-hmm. isn't that weird how that happens? Yeah, it's because you're always like Alfonso is always like, hey guys, hey guys, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. I'm just gonna look at this. <laughs> <laughs> and then next thing you know, he's on stage, and I'm like. He said he was just going to go look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's like one of those classic 80s tropes, you know, it's like, hey, where's Alfonso? <laughs> I'm up there on stage like, hey, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not even a classic 80s trope. That's just our life at conventions with Alfonso. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. <laughs> yes, sir. Sounds like lazy writing, guys. Mm. <laughs> oh. No. Hey. Take a, take that's that's why that's why Alan and myself always walk away and walk around. Yeah, we're like we know he's going to be at least half an hour. We'll come back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what we do. We done it every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, with with the Darth Maul thing um, again, like he was, you know. Now I was thinking about it. He's also in Clone Wars, so you know he's in Clone Wars and. I don't know if you noticed, he he beat up uh, Pre Visla, and he actually yielded the black saber, which uh, Mando has right now. Mm -hmm. And so he actually ruled over Mandalore for a little bit. And so, again, Dave Filoni goes and picks up the pieces and re assimilate, you know, Darth Maul back into the Star Wars universe. And then had a nice little closeout in the Rebel or the last episode of Clone Wars with Obi-Wan and um, Darth Maul, like the last battle scene. So that was pretty good. So there was like, a the, he fixed it and gave it in the middle, you know, gave it the end. I think George Lucas didn't didn't understand how well of a character he created in Darth Maul. What was dope, you, you remember the trailer was like, ah, 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 and then like the, the blades come out, the new blades. And that's the first time you uh -huh. saw like the new blades come out. And you're like, whoa, I've never seen it before. It's pretty cool. And for me, you know, because I like Kung Fu movies, I really appreciate it because it was like a staff, like, you know, so like I, I really enjoyed that. But I didn't I don't think George Lucas understood how oh, a dope character like that. And I think that's why he killed him off and didn't realize that people gravitated to you're creating a character that everyone loves as an icon is a Darth Vader. And you're creating a little Anakin that no one cares about. Even in his teenage years, no one cares about that. Everybody the whole time wants to see him be in the black suit. So when you have Darth Maul already in a black robe, he's red, got spikes on his head, a dual lightsaber. Everyone gravitates to that because you're like, whoa, this guy's dope. And then you kill him off and you get no pleasure out of that because that's the best part of Phantom Menace is Darth Maul. And you bring in Count Dooku to, you know, off his point, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a well-known actor. But no one cares about that. You, you you care about Darth Maul because Darth Maul is better than Darth Sidious. And so when Anakin beats Darth Sidious, to you guys' point, it would be better for him to beat Darth Maul because there's a better payoff. But again, Filoni is fixing it. So that's what he does is Filoni the fixer-upper. <laughs> Dukes, Dukes, you missed it out. The, the one scene where uh, Obi-Wan yeah, fights uh, Darth Maul Dooku? at the end. Oh, Dooku, yeah. <laughs> but that that one no 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 the the scene where uh obi-wan fights uh, uh darth maul in in the clone wars or yeah i think it was the clone wars you should it's pretty sweet because he goes up to him and he goes with the classic obi-wan stance you know it's lightsaber out in front of him and then and then he switches over to the other obi-wan stance and then he, he switches to uh the stance that uh qui-gon started with it was there was three different stances but it, it was so representative of like every stage that darth maul had to deal with um dooku still does serve a purpose in the way that he could be the guy still that gets the, the so you know he could ask find guy who's you know working behind the scenes you know maybe he's on geonosis maybe you put darth maul in that spot 
But uh, you don't have to completely throw away Dooku because Christopher Lee's awesome. But, uh, you know, he could still serve a purpose in the way that, uh, you know, similarly, Jar Jar could have. Here's the thing with that. In those movies, I'm at the disagree, bro. He didn't serve any purposes. He was whack. He was a waste of time. No one cared when he, when Anakin beat him. You know, like when Anakin finally beat him, no one was like, oh, hey, because Dark Sidious to me didn't seem that strong. However, again, you know, Dave Filoni behind the wheels again, Tales of the Jedi, the animes, you know, like the anime mm -hmm. shorts where they had Count Dooku awesome. and they had a few stories that led up to him switching sides and being more towards Sith. And so, I mean, they, they even feel like, again, Dave Filoni is a genius. He fills the gaps. What's her name? Plume? I, I can't remember. Well, one of the one of the Jedi's kind of like Yoda, I think. I'm not mistaken. Same Anyways, she was like, hey, Count Dooku, I see where you're coming from and you're right, but we can go about it a different way. And he ends up killing her. And that's and him killing her is what made him switch to a Sith. So the backstory of that, again, Dave Filoni goes back and just cleans up all that stuff. And he makes Count Dooku more relevant because of that. If those episodes aren't out, you don't care about Count Dooku. He's nothing. But watching that, because he's, he's um, Qui-Gon's... Um, master and Qui-Gon's his Padawan, you get to know Qui-Gon a little bit, bit more and you get to see their certain philosophy. So when, when Count Dooku says to Obi-Wan, I wish Qui-Gon was here because he'd understand. No one gets that because you really don't know Qui-Gon. Now, if you watch da Tales of the Jedi, you get to see somewhat of how Qui-Gon thinks. And you know what? You can see maybe Qui-Gon switching sides and, and, and knowing what he's talking about. And so it's it's just terrible writing for the first three movies, I think. It's just too many gaps, too many plot holes, which Dave Filoni's fixing in a very nice way. I appreciate that. So apparently I need to watch Rebels, Clone <laughs> Wars, and Tales of the yeah. Jedi. Yeah. Okay, okay. And then Danny pointed out that there were two Clone Wars movies. Uh, there was just one. Yeah, the, yeah. It, was, um, the, it, was, it was a series of shorts that aired on Cartoon Network. Yeah. And then they ended up compiling them all on DVD. And then uh, they had a part one. And then right before the release of episode three, then they put out the second part. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, those were pretty awesome. Those were more traditional yeah, animation. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like, dude, Tales of the Jedi, bro, there's a samurai Jedi. Sick, bro. Sick. And he was going around killing Sits, but he wasn't a Jedi. But he was going around killing Sith and taking their lightsabers and putting them on his waist. It's pretty sick, dude. It's, again, it's does that story. does that become canon? Uh, I want to say the whole thing is canon, but it's just like a different time period. It was cool. It was just like a little short story. Wow. I mean, wow. with Star Wars, like you, any time period you make, bro. Like you got to yeah. remember, like even though there's a Star Wars universe, there's other planets and other things are going down. Which mm -hmm. Filoni and John are, are full of, you know. There's so much more story that you could do that in the same time period that happened as, you know, Star Wars in the same time, whether it's the prequels or like it's four or five or six or seven, eight, nine. You just don't know because it's the other side of the universe that, you know, a lot of stuff is going on. Right. I think they, they, yeah, like, you know, like when you hear Vader killed off all these Jedis, you're like, you can't wait to see it. And then you see it, he kills young kids mostly. <laughs> Right? Little young Jedi's, bro. We're, that's not the payoff. Like, if he's supposed to be a big baddie, I would like to see him do 
fight a bunch of Jedi's at one time. I thought that would, that'd be really cool. And then you can you can sell me on this guy being the dude. You, you know what I mean? But when you're killing little younglings, I'm like, bro, come on, bro. Or you're killing those little sandpiper dudes. Like, come on, man. Like, you're really not convincing me that this guy's dope. And then you're going to have a, you're going to sound like a whiny emo kid, you know, like, bad man. And you kill her yourself. I'm like, what? Whatever, dude. Don't get me, don't get me started on, you know, like, the more I talk about it, I just get upset about that crap. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been a fracking amazing discussion, Danny. Uh, thank you so much for, putting your thoughts together and uh, sharing them with everybody. Do you have any thoughts that you want to uh, take us out with? Um, well, I mean, obviously the critiques come from a place of, you know, deep fandom, you know, loving it since I was four years old and, you know, so much, you know, putting Darth Vader, the character on a pedestal, and the prequel trilogy is supposed to be the becoming of Darth Vader. So it should have been epic. It, it should have been, you know, an incredible, the, the story's there. It's just a matter of how you get to the finish line. And, you know, it, it should have been, you know, so much more better, so much better than, than it, than it was. And with that, this concludes this episode in the Nerd World Order broadcast. So until next time, ladies, gentlemen, and nice of the Nerd World Order, I am NWO. We are NWO. Nerds redefined. Oh, yeah.